Good morning. Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, entitled Fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Thank you, Don, for reading scripture for us this morning. I hope you all have enjoyed the prayer guides that I gave you on your way out last week. Uh, I won't be collecting them from you this morning. <laughs> As some people joked about, there were some jokes about a red pen last week and me grading the homework that was given out. So uh, I won't be collecting it and making anyone walk up the aisle <laughs> to hand it in this morning. Uh, but I am open to feedback if you have any. So if you enjoyed, I'd heard from some of you that you enjoyed the prayer guides. If you have uh, any other feedback, I'd love to hear that. Uh, just as a reminder, I'll remind you at the end of this sermon as well, there are new guides in the back to t- for you to take with you on your way out. Uh, for this morning's sermon, uh, we'll be looking at the spiritual practice of fasting. So if you weren't here with us last week, we talked about prayer. We're going through a sermon series this summer on spiritual practices. So we did prayer last week, fasting this week, uh, and I'd like to start by sharing two stories of fasting, two people who had very different experiences when they tried to fast. So the first man's story goes like this. I fasted on several occasions and nothing happened. I just got hungry. (laughs) It's a good start. Several years ago, I heard a couple of pastors discussing fasting. On their recommendation, I tried my first fast. They said it was commanded in the Bible and should be practiced by every Christian. So I decided to try it, being a Christian. After putting it off for several days, I mustered up enough courage to start. I couldn't go to the breakfast table <clears throat> excuse me, with my family because I didn't think I would have enough willpower to abstain from eating. So I went on to work. The coffee break was almost unbearable. and I told a little white lie about why I didn't go with the group. All I could think about was how hungry I was. I said to myself, if I ever get through this day, I will never try this again. The afternoon was even worse. I tried to concentrate on my work, but all I could hear was the growling of my stomach. My wife prepared a meal for herself and our child, and the aroma of the food was all I could bear. I figured that if I could make it till midnight, I would have fasted all day. I did, but immediately after the striking of the hour at 12, I dug into food. (laughs) And the person closes with this, I don't think that day of fasting helped me one bit. The second man's story could not be more different. He says, I set apart this day for fasting and prayer to God for his grace especially to prepare me for the work of the ministry, to give me divine aid and direction in my preparations for that great work, and in his own time to send me into his harvest. 
I felt a power of intercession for precious and immortal souls, for the advancement of the kingdom of my dear Lord and Savior, and withal a most sweet resignation and even consolation, and joy in the thoughts of suffering hardships, distresses, and even death itself in the promotion of it. My soul was drawn out very much for the world. I grasped for multitudes of souls. I think I had even more enlargement for sinners than for the children of God, though I felt as if I could spend my entire life in cries for both. I enjoyed great sweetness in communion with my dear Savior. I think I never in my life felt such an entire weanedness from this world and so much resigned to God in everything. As you can tell from those two accounts, there's a couple hundred years that separates these two men. You can tell that by the language that the second person uses. Uh, but I think as we you know, kind of hold these two stories together, we ask the question, how did this second man come to this understanding of fasting? What was it that separated their two experiences? Well, I'll answer that question for us this morning. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll talk about fasting. Father, we thank you. We thank you that uh, you have given us your word. You've given us uh, a framework for these practices and for these things to do in our lives. And Father, as we talk about fasting this morning, may our experience as we practice it this week, may it be more like the second man and not the first. God, may you guide and direct us in our lives as we seek you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So just like Jesus assumes that his followers will pray, we talked about that last week, Jesus also assumes that they will fast. In the passage that Don read for us earlier, Jesus opens with, when you fast, not if you fast. So just like prayer, the assumption is that we will fast. But unlike prayer... Jesus doesn't give us a framework for how we should fast. There is no the Lord's fast, right? We, we pray the Lord's prayer, but there's no the Lord's fast for us to take part in, right? He only instructs them to not draw attention to themselves when they fast. And I think this points to something that we see fasting differently from how we see prayer, Prayer, we know, is a good thing. We know that we should pray more, but we're a little uncertain about fasting. Fasting, we're a little skeptical of whether or not we should be doing that because it seems strange to us, almost seems a little extreme. What do you mean I should go without food for a certain amount of time? See, that perception is mainly due to where we are currently in history and where our culture has come to. See, fasting was the norm for most of Christianity's history and the church. It was only within the past couple hundred years that fasting has fallen out of favor in the lives of followers of Jesus. One of the biggest holdovers of fasting that we still see commonly today is the practice of fasting during the Lent season, in which we give up something that we like. Fasting is typically giving up food. That's what we see in the biblical example. But sometimes we give up 
other things than food. Sometimes we give up something that we enjoy doing, a hobby, watching TV, things like that. So I'll make a caveat here before we talk too much about fasting. Uh, In the case where it is a health risk to not eat for a period of time, uh, please fast from something other than food. (laughs) My wife reminded me this morning that uh, as a pregnant person, she probably shouldn't fast for an extended period of time. That's, uh, yep, that's, that's a good one. Uh, So find something else to give up if you can't give up food. Anyway, a lack of fasting can happen for any number of reasons. See, maybe we're afraid of what people will think of us if we tell them that we are fasting. Well, that's weird. Why aren't you eating food? Maybe we don't know what will happen to us if we fast. Maybe we're worried about what will happen in our bodies or the experience that we might have doing it. Maybe like the first story that I read for us, maybe we don't think we'll have the willpower to resist the sweet aroma of food as it wafts into our hungry nostrils. See, Jesus, he, he talks more about fasting later on in the book of Matthew. We looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago. In Matthew chapter 9, when he's questioned about it by the disciples of John the Baptist, That passage says this. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. See, in this passage, Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the guests at the wedding feast. So while Jesus is saying this, he is present with his disciples. He is there physically with them, so there's no reason for them to fast. But once Jesus leaves, then his followers will fast. So for Jesus here, fasting is an act of mourning. When we fast, we recognize the fact that we have lost something. The Son of God was here physically present on the earth, and now he isn't. So fasting means expressing longing for Jesus to return. In that longing, as we fast, we then offer ourselves to Jesus. We recognize that we are the guests, and he is the bridegroom, and he is the greatest need that we have, a greater need than food itself. See, when we fast, we are saying to Jesus through our actions, here I am. Jesus, I don't need anything else except for you. Food may sustain my physical body, but Jesus, you sustain my soul. Jesus, you said you are the bread of life, and I believe that. Jesus, I would rather have you than have bread, real bread. So when we fast, We fast also because Jesus himself fasted. When we began our sermon series in Matthew, we recognize that Jesus began his ministry by fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm not going to suggest to you that you fast for 40 days, (laughs) Um, but he did so in order to draw closer to God and prepare himself for ministry. So as we fast, we too draw closer to God. See, fasting is so radically different from what our culture pushes on us. 
gluttony, one of the seven deadly sins, has become normalized in our society. Now, I love Shady Maple. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It's right down the road. But Shady Maple makes their money on offering people more food than they could possibly know what to do with, right? A lot of the time we ask the question, well, I wonder how much food Shady Maple throws away at the end of the day, right? Fasting is a way to remind ourselves that sometimes in our society today we have too much. Self-denial is an afterthought for us. Why would I deny myself of anything, especially in our society, which says that the greatest good for me is to pursue self-love, self-actualization, or self-care? See, to fast is really to go against the grain of the culture. And so because of that, fasting is a way for us to grow in holiness. To be holy just means to be set apart. Fasting is a way that we show the rest of the world that we are set apart, that we live differently, not in a prideful way because we think that we're better than anyone, but because that is what God has called us to do, and our actions show them the God who we serve. But fasting is not only the removal of something. Fasting is not only the doing away with of food or something else. It's also a movement towards something. So as we put off food, as we fast, the challenge for us is to replace that with something else. If we are going to not fill ourselves with physical food, we can fill ourselves with spiritual food instead. As we fast, we should be taking time to seek after God, replacing the time that we would spend eating or spend shopping or spend doing those things and spending that time with God instead. As we do that, he then pours into us. We become holy or set apart. See, many of us know the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I think I missed some, (laughs) but there's one that we normally leave out, right? Self-control. When it comes to the life of following Jesus, we know that there are certain temptations that we will be faced with in our lives, and each of us is tempted differently. Fasting is a way to practice what it is like to be tempted not only to exercise self-control, but to train in it. If I cannot resist the temptation to eat food when I am fasting for one day, how am I supposed to resist the temptation to do any number of things at any other time? See, there's a reason that these practices are often called spiritual disciplines, because they take discipline to do them. Now, I want to warn us against something here. There, There is a temptation in fasting to punish the body, right? As if, as if the body is bad and we're removing food from the body uh, in order to punish it. And the spiritual, on the other hand, is good. And so we're doing the spiritual instead of the physical. But uh, that's what's known as dualism, and that's a dangerous way to think. Both the physical and the spiritual are good, Created by God. 
The body is not bad, but the sin that taints our bodies is bad. So fasting is not a way to punish the body, but instead a way to set the body free. Now, one aspect of fasting is that it pairs naturally and also powerfully with the practice of prayer that we talked about last week. When I was in college, there was a big decision that I had to make. I remember telling someone that I had been praying about it, and they said back to me, I think we had recently done a study on fasting. They suggested that maybe I should fast as well while I was praying about that decision. I had never fasted before. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Couldn't hurt. So I fasted for three days while I prayed. It's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life. I know that's personal experience, maybe anecdotal, but I think there's something to this. There's a story in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn here. I'll read this for us. First Chronicles chapter 20, uh, and this highlights this idea. So listen as I read this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Mayunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah at this time. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So King Jehoshaphat realizes that he needs the Lord's help. First, he resolves to inquire of the Lord, so he resolves to pray. And then he proclaims a fast for all of Judah. An entire nation praying and fasting before the Lord. So what do we think happened as a result? If we keep reading through the story, we find the Lord delivered Judah from this nation, this vast army, and he won the battle for them. And so if we are stuck in prayer, if we want to take prayer more seriously, if we are seeking guidance from God about something, if we want deliverance from God from something, we can fast as well. And that fasting will in turn amplify our prayers. See, if prayer is talking with God, we are much more likely to talk with him if we take the time that we would spend eating or doing something else and we replace that time with seeking him. If prayer, which we talked about last week, is listening to God, we are much more likely to hear his voice if we are tuning out other distractions in our lives and putting ourselves in a vulnerable state when we need him. See, fasting shows God that we are serious. We're serious enough to give up eating food, which we love, in order to seek only him. I think God rewards that. Now, this doesn't ensure an answer for us. We have to avoid seeing this as giving God an ultimatum that he must answer or else. But there's a pretty good track record 
in scripture and in history, when a group of people resolve to pray and fast before the Lord and seek him for something. One more example to close us in this section from the book of Acts. This is taking place as the New Testament church is beginning to spread. It says this, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, there it is, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. See, the early apostles recognized they could not do this by their own strength or their own power. They needed to seek God through prayer and fasting. So as we fast, we should begin to recognize that something profound is happening to us. We begin to have the thought, so this is what it's like to not eat for a day. For so many of us, we have no idea what it is like to feel hungry anymore. And I don't mean, you know, the 15 minutes before dinner kind of hunger. I mean the real painful, empty hunger, the hunger of not knowing where our next meal is going to come from. We, we don't know what that is like. Food is so widespread and so available to us that we take it for granted. See, fasting reminds us of what it is like to be a have-not, to not have food. When we fast, we recognize that there are those out there who experience hunger on a regular basis. It's actually an act of humility to lower yourself from the group of people who always have food into the people, the group of people who maybe sometimes or maybe never have food. See, often when we think of fasting and what we've talked about so far in this sermon, we think of fasting as a way to bring benefit to ourselves. Well, this act of fasting will bring me closer to God, so we do it. Or this act of fasting will bring me clarity and some sort of decision that I need to make, so I'll do it. But fasting should drive us outwards towards other people as well. Away from thinking about ourselves and towards thinking about others. So a question within fasting becomes, well, if I'm going to fast for a day, if I'm going to give up three meals, what would those meals cost? Right? That's something that we can calculate. You know, we know how much it costs to go out for dinner or to shop for groceries or those things. Once we have that, we can take that and we can give that away. Right? We partner with Crossnet Ministries. They help provide meals for people, food from a pantry to people who need it. An act of fasting is not only to give up food for myself for a reason that I need, but also to help meet the needs of other people. So how do we grow in fasting? This is the question that I closed us with last week as we talked about prayer. How do we advance through these stages if they are stages of fasting? How do we become people who fast in a way that is 
personally meaningful and mutually beneficial. I'm going to take us back to the two stories that uh, we opened with, the two men who had very different experiences in their practice of fasting. The first man, he simply saw fasting as removing something from his life. He removed the practice of eating food. There was nothing in there that mentioned him trying to draw closer to God as he fasted. And so he was left hungry, not only physically, but spiritually as well. He never came to recognize that that practice was a way for him to draw closer to God. But the second man, he saw fasting as removing something from his life in order to gain something else. He removed the practice of eating food, and he replaced it with seeking God and his will for his life. He was left with so much more than he could have ever asked for. See, fasting is not just something that we do. This is what we want to avoid as we go through this sermon series on spiritual practices. If we just go through the motions, if we just do it to get get it over with, to, to be done with it, We will get nothing from it. But when we replace food with something else, replace food with a prayer, food with seeking guidance, food with maybe expressing grief for something, seeking deliverance or protection from something, maybe expressing repentance, we get more out of fasting than we could ever dream of. So I'll ask you this question as we close. What do you want to see change about your life? What do you want to see change in our world, in our country? What do you want to see change about the church, God's kingdom, whatever it is? Pray about it. We run to prayer very quickly. But then fast and pray. See what happens. See, I believe that if we become not only a praying church, but also a fasting church, then we will see some pretty incredible things happen in our lives, but also in the lives of others. If we, like the apostles of the early church, devote ourselves to prayer and to fasting, it's amazing what God could do in us and through us. Let me pray for us as we close this morning. Father, we thank you for this example. We thank you that you meet us in these things. God, that as we fast and as we give things up, that you provide for us. And God, we express this morning that you are our greatest need. So whatever it is for us this morning, whatever the burden of our heart is, whatever we want to see change, God, we lift those things to you. God, as we do this practice of fasting this week, we pray that you would meet us. We pray that you would speak to us. And God, we pray that as we devote ourselves to you, we would see things begin to change. So God, help us this week. Give us your strength by your spirit. Have the endurance to do this, to do it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.